Welcome to the Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Furtick. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Stunt Show is a weekly production brought to you by a host of uh, rotating characters. And believe me, we are all characters, including Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Mark Zomick, and Daniel Gordon. And again, my name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, I'm so glad you're able to join us for this edition of the Stunt Show. Today, we're going to be talking about Israel, uh, mostly visiting Israel. And uh, since this is the Stunt Show, we need to have a stunt. So uh, a stunt that we've decided to pull for today, which is always a favorite of mine, is when we turn the tables and uh, make a guest out of a guy who's rarely a guest. And so, Nahum Siegel, welcome to the Stunt Show. Thank you very much, Mayor. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, you've got a big, big week coming up next week. You... Yeah, I guess we could classify it as a stunt in it's some cer- way, shape, or certainly form. certainly could be. Uh, the, the highlight, I think, uh, aside from all the live shows you're going to be doing from Israel and all the shows you're going to be doing from Israel, the, the highlight for me is the fact that you are getting to fly on a Nefesh Benefesh flight. Yeah, it's funny because there, there'll be little, very little programming during that flight. You know, obviously we'll try to do some recording with people that will insert into Tuesday's show, but, uh, ironically, as you just said, that might be the highlight for me the entire week and it has nothing to do with the broadcast. We're going to try to turn the Monday and Tuesday shows into major highlights for our listeners because, uh, not only do we get the chance to be on the flight, we get the chance to do this really unique stunt or concept, which yeah. is uh, being in Kennedy Airport Monday morning and then, and then presenting Tuesday morning show from Ben Gurion Airport after we've landed in Israel. So the whole thing is just, uh, I mean, it's a great week in Israel in general and we're going to some brand new places we've never been to before. That's always exciting. But the way the week is starting with this whole Monday, Tuesday, air, who, who ever would have thought yeah. that airport shows could be this exciting? I know. <laughs> I know. Especially if you do them near the duty free shops. <laughs> You know, Mark Wiener used to have a joke that the reason everybody gets engaged after three dates is because there's only three airports. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was also an indication of just how boring airports could be. Right, exactly. So in this case, it's not going to be boring. It's going to be a very exciting journey. Where are you going to be sitting for that Monday show at uh, JFK? Any idea? Now, they told us that it's all arranged already because both ZK and Miriam L. Wallach have been down there and actually scouted out the place and made sure everything works technically the way it should. Right. Um, it's going to be very close to where the actual gathering is for the big ceremony. Now, uh, the ceremony won't start until we're off the air because uh, that, that that's not much closer to the flight itself. Right. But uh, between 6 and 9, Eastern Time in the morning, we'll be in the actual airport. There'll be a lot of guests who will be on the Nefesh Benefesh staff preparing for the flight. There'll be others who have uh, agreed to actually come early and be with us. And just the whole, it's, again, it's, it, we won't be there with, you know, a thousand people, but just the whole concept of being that close to, mm-hmm. to, to moving to Israel, so close yet so far, well, uh, is it, going to be something. I could tell you, because I, I don't know if you recall, but I have flown a Nefesh Benefesh charter. Yep. Uh, when I was the publisher of the Jewish Star, they invited me to do that years ago, and I, I flew and then I wrote about it. And I can tell you that the biggest challenge for you, Nahum Siegel, this coming week is not going to be professional but personal because you're going to be on that plane with people who are actually going, and yeah. you're there as a journalist, and you're going to be eating your kishkas out, I'm telling you. Now, 
the ironies uh, that accompany this whole concept are, are unbelievable. I mean, usually I have the privilege of, you know, doing a show and in some way, shape, or form, you know, being being the, I don't know, what do you want to call it, the big shot or, you mm-hmm. know, the focus of attention right. here. I feel like it's exactly the opposite, right. that the real heroes in this case are obviously the people moving. They're the ones who are going to be showered with love as they, as they get on the plane to leave and as they arrive in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to be, you know, sort of innocent bystanders. <laughs> this ain't going to be about celebrity this week, I can tell you that much. Right. I could tell you that for me, uh, Hani and I flew, flew on that flight together. And it was a, it was a wonderful experience from start to finish. Of course, the people from Nefesh Benefesh could, you know, could not possibly have been nicer. Uh, despite the fact that they were intensely busy. I mean, this is, you know, a, a period of serious, uh, activity for them during that right. flight. They're busy processing, you know, people's paperwork and doing all sorts of stuff, employing, by the way, all their technology that they've put into place to make the process of moving to Israel less bureaucratically onerous. And, uh, for us, and you'll tell me later, or maybe you'll tell us on the air on Tuesday uh, how you feel about this, but for us, the the most uncomfortable, in a sense, part of that trip was when you get off, and of course, we've all seen the pictures and, see, and heard the audio, seen the video, of, of people waiting to greet the people getting off the plane with singing and dancing and intense joy, and I know that I felt like a complete imposter. <laughs> Right, I'm telling you, I, it's going to be, I'm going to feel like a total loser because, <laughs> and, look, I, I obviously will try to keep things in perspective and I sure. want to give everybody a, uh, a really good description of what's going on and obviously that is going to require being in a very upbeat mood because right. the whole atmosphere is so upbeat. Yeah, but maybe this will, maybe this will in some way either get me and my family or maybe other families to, uh, you know, to get closer to Israel and to really consider things. These types of shows have a way of uh, encouraging people to uh, explore, um, you know, what all the excitement's about. Right. So I'm hoping that uh, that it will get um, folks like us and others to seriously consider a move to Israel. I would like, here's what I would like, I yeah. would like as many days, months, or years as it takes, I would like to look back and say because of that flight, because of the fact that we were with everybody and saw what it's like and went through the whole system, you know, that day, obviously right. not the entire system, we, we ended up moving to Israel. Right. Well, uh, from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah. Um, but I, I can tell you it, uh, it will be an intense experience and you're very lucky to have the opportunity to do it. Oh, um, so let's tell people, first of all, you're listening to The Stunt Show. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. It's, uh, we're on the Nachum Siegel Network, and uh, I'm Mayor Fertig, my guest, of course. You can tell from hearing, uh, you know, it's sort of like... Uh, um, name that tune. You hear that. You hear that voice for uh, a, a couple of syllables, and you know that my guest is Nachum Siegel. And uh, we're talking about uh, the trip that Nachum is taking to Israel next week, beginning uh, with a live broadcast from JFK in New York, and then continuing with uh, the flight to Israel aboard the Nefesh Benefesh flight with so many people making Aliyah. Then Nachum Tuesday, once you get to Ben Gurion after the uh, the big arrival ceremony, you're going to do another edition of JM the AM for Tuesday, yeah. right from Ben Gurion. I mean, we were thinking of actually waiting till the real airtime to do it, but first of all, obviously, we want to do it, you know, as a lot of activities going right. on. But I think the best way to handle this is to, you know, do the show at the at the first possible moment to right. start it, 
and uh, and and do three quality hours. I think you know. At, Obviously, JM and the AM normally is presented live, and 98% of our shows are always done live with someone in studio or, you know, um, on the road with someone sitting in the studio. But in this case, I just felt that uh, this is the way to go instead of trying to gather up people later in the afternoon and presenting the show live. Also, I would I would guess that me and the staff are not going to sleep much on this flight, and I don't want to take the risk of waiting almost an entire day right. to do another show. We may conk out at some point. <laughs> well, you... you- you, you might not sleep very much on the flight. There's certainly a lot of activity on board. Yeah. And, uh, look, the the level of excitement, the level of energy that's going to be in that in that airport at the period of, you know, immediately after arrival, you're not going to be able to recreate that, and you don't want to lose it. Right, 100%. So I, I think you're making a good decision. Look, we've... Um We've done a lot of shows in Israel, and obviously people yeah. who are regular listeners know that. And a lot that I can name that have been spectacular. I mean, we've met certain personalities and done some crazy things over the years, what some people might call crazy. <laughs> and, and who would think that all these years later we'd, we'd come up with an idea, and Nefesh, Nefesh would, you know, assist us with it, obviously, uh, that would be this unique and this, you know, when we've done so much already. Right. And uh, and that's what it is. It's a really unique concept. Nobody else could pull this off because of the hours and because of the attention we're able to garner for it. Mm-hmm. And and we have, like I said, Wednesday will be at Yeshivat Shalvin, which is really cool at the beginning of the El Zman. Oh, and, right. That'll help and, just arrive. Oh, it's a week into El and I think, and between the Shana Bet people, the Shana Aleph people, the contrast of those two groups, right. you know, plus, of course, it being such a historic Hezder Yeshiva, which is there's enough to talk about there anyway. Right. Uh, I think that's going to be an amazing trip, uh, an amazing visit. Plus, Thursday will be in Yerushalayim with Ormeir Ubracha, who... Um, what is that? Ormeir Ubracha is essentially what we would call, I guess, a Tomche Shabbos group, um, distributing food to people every single Thursday and a lot more food between, before Yontif. And now they are embarking, because it's already Elul, on their big Rosh Hashanah campaign. So we'll be with them and encouraging people to uh, to listen to what they have to say and to contribute to them uh, right now before Rosh Hashanah. And that's also... Uh, going to be a very exciting show, something we haven't done before. But the beginning of the week is just going to be off the charts. Right. Uh, and then we should just tell people, just to round out the schedule, Thursday, uh, sort of back to Shalvim, uh, to the girls' school, and you'll do Correct. a live lunch, and then Miriam L. Wallach will present That's the Life. The block that we do from noon to three on Thursday next week, mm-hmm. is not only are we going to feature on Jam and the AM Wednesday morning, Everybody at Shalvim for Men. We're actually going to feature on Thursday afternoon, New York time, right. Shalvim for Women, which is which is also going to be something unique. Um, we've never done a a show from a yeshiva or a seminary in Israel, so obviously this will be the first seminary. Really, we're at. never before. Not that I can recall. And in addition to that. They have a they, they have dedicated so much of their resources and have become so successful with the with the girls' school with mm-hmm. the school for women that that it's just again another interesting contrast another interesting transition that we're going to be doing visiting both uh, the men and women's institutions so a lot of unique things are going on this time as we try to do every time we go to Israel and uh, it's very exciting ironically I will not be doing Friday morning show right. because we will have just landed. And normally, 
Uh, just, a, just on a programming note, because Mayor Furtick would appreciate this, yeah. normally I do try to land in Newark and then go do Friday's show, because I think it's a great way to wrap up the week. Yeah, you've done that before, of, sure. Uh, between the summer schedule and the way things turned out, it looks like I'll be off that Friday and Monday, so uh, we ended up uh, just taking off the long weekend. But normally right. uh, we do try to do the Friday show on the way back. All right, so people who are interested in all this, of course, can tune into JM in the AM uh, from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. New York time. Right. Uh, on uh, Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, Don't miss it, folks. And we'll right. hopefully be tweeting and Facebooking, and hopefully a lot of guys, including Mayor Furtig, will be retweeting our stuff and sharing all our stuff online because I, I just think it's going to be so unique and so different. So I hope that uh, I hope it piques everyone's curiosity, and I hope that there'll be archives available. You can listen to it any time. And um, when Nefesh Benefesh does something, as Mayor described, uh, you know, they do it right. Yeah, they're so great to work with, too. Right. So, and they're doing this right. They're taking every step of this very seriously. And you know how, you know, you know how much coordination goes into things like this. Sure. Especially when it hasn't been done before. And they're taking it very seriously to make sure every detail is taken care of and that we have as high quality a show as possible. Right. Well, very good. And uh, I'm looking forward to all of this. I hope listeners are as well. And those who are hearing about this for the first time now through the Stunt Show, we're glad to be telling you about it. And uh, certainly you don't want to miss it either live or on the archives at NahumSiegel.com or jmandtheam.org. Um, Nahum, is there any uh, one thing uh, besides the flight itself that uh, you're looking forward to on this trip to Israel? You know what's interesting? I, someone told me there are nine speakers at the welcoming ceremony in Tel Aviv. Mm-hmm. So I said, nine speakers? That, that seems a lot to me. And they said, no, every one of them is short and sweet with a great inspirational message. I guess at this point, many of them have, you know, have gotten this down pat. Right. And I am curious to see that roster because I was told who some of the people are that will be at this event on Tuesday in Ben-Gurion. And it is such an amazing cross-section of Israeli leadership and such an amazing cross-section of religious leadership. You would think after all these years of Nefesh Benefesh making this, you know, like second nature already for people, they expect every summer thousands of people to go. Right. You'd think that some of that enthusiasm would be gone, but no, it seems to me like the whole ceremony is going to be just as enthusiastic as the early ones were, you know, a decade back. And that is something I am curious to see, because I, I would expect that things would be toned down, and I know I have not much to compare it to because I haven't been there before, but if I do see, and this is my curiosity, if I do see a really joyous, you know, um, um, foot-stomping, hand-clapping crowd at this event, that to me will just be everything. So that's the part that uh, I'm looking forward to most. You're going to have a great time. I know know two things that stick out in my memory from when Hani and I flew with Nefesh Benefesh and we were at the uh, welcoming ceremony. Two things that stick out in my mind is that one of the um, one of Mark and uh, Rochelle Zamek's daughters, I don't remember which one, one of their daughters was part of that crowd greeting people at the, as you came into the, uh, as you came into the, uh, the terminal, and they looked at us and they said, you're making Aliyah? <laughs> <laughs> So that was surprise, that surprise. was one thing, and then as I was sitting there in the crowd, taking it all in, uh, taking some notes, taking some pictures, I get an email from Matas Weingast telling me that he's seeing me on the live feed. <laughs> well, people should know 
that Matis, because everybody on our staff, you know, has some obsession. Matis's yeah. obsession is watching the Memphis arrivals. Right. <laughs> he's right. always doing that when he's not watching the Kotel can. <laughs> and, and he stays up all night if necessary, no matter what the schedule is. If, in fact, I think Matis is away this coming Monday. If he was around, he would be glued to everything that's happening there. I think he happens to be away this uh, this coming week. But um, yeah, there's. Uh, there's <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I. I, I, I not only am I anticipating that people will see us and let us know, text us, etc., but I already have found out that people who I, who I know for a really long time, not folks that I'm in touch with every day, but people I know for a really long time, yeah. are moving on Monday to Israel. Really? I oh, so you know people it. on the flight. I know people on the flight. I couldn't believe it. I, I think at this point, everybody from my generation who's gone is gone already. But no, right. we, we, we know folks that are there. In fact, I called my sister in Israel. I told her that they're, they're coming. She's, you know, they're, they're more her age, and she remembers them so well. And right. She's like, I can't wait to see them. I cannot believe they're moving to Israel. So people of all ages just keep on going. Right. I asked Nevis for Nevis for a list of folks who are flying just to see if I'm familiar with uh, any number of them. And um, I mean, I haven't gotten an actual list yet, but I, I'm curious to see who's on the flight. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't think I don't think it's true that you know that I don't think it's correct that all the people of your generation who would have gone are gone. I wouldn't have even made that assumption when when I was there. You know, I was there for ten days uh, till I guess I got back Thursday um, a week ago. Uh, there are so many different theories that people will offer to you of when the right time to go is or when isn't the right time. There are so many different theories. One thing somebody said to me was uh, that you have to you have to go when your kids are small and you have to choose a number and you have to go before you're earning that number. Because <laughs> if you're earning that number already, you're not going. Interesting. That was that was one. Um, I I gave. I, I had the opportunity to think about in the course of a conversation the the logic behind going as a single. There's a lot to be said for that, actually. How about the logic of going straight to the army, as so many are this Monday? Right. Well, that's right. Uh, it's it's pretty incredible, you know. But I, I don't know if there's. I wouldn't say there's no bad time to move. Obviously, not everybody's aliyah is successful. But uh, somehow, the, for the people who have figured it out, who are who are doing it despite whatever uh, you know, uh, whatever challenges may be presenting to the, themselves, uh, that that would seem to argue against you know, kahakavod to them. Yeah, it's funny you say that because um, as I think now of some of the people who've moved recently that I know or in my life, um, it, it just happened to be that uh, the right time. You know, finally arrived. You know, they may be in their fifties, they may be in their sixties, but the right time finally arrived. So, right. well, they you know, look, you know, they they say that you can't. It's advised that people not go with older kids. That's right. a pretty common piece of advice. So, right. you know, for people like me, for people like you, who may feel you know that ship has sailed for now. Uh, you know, well, at some point they the come back into port. Right. At some point, the kids grow up and they they're on their own. Then maybe then that's the time. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be overthinking this for the next 48 hours. <laughs> so right, glad to know. More for the next uh, four or five days, probably. Well, have fun anticipating, have fun overthinking, and uh, have fun flying and broadcasting because you're going to have a great time. Thank you so much. I hope everybody checks us out. The uh, updates will be on Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel on Facebook and on our Twitter feeds. And um, and I hope that we're able to convey the uh, unbelievable accomplishments of the heroism of those hundreds of folks aboard that one flight, just one of many that continuously are going uh, over the airwaves. Nahum, thank you. Have a safe trip. Thanks so much, Mayor. We'll be right back. 
Get on the next flight now. Get on the next flight now. That was Gershon Varoba with the next flight here on the Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I was certainly thinking about that uh, that song when I had to leave the state of Israel about a week ago uh, after an amazing 10-day trip. Um, so uh, given what Nachum and I were discussing about uh, the fact that uh, he's with a group of people who are making that uh, that commitment to make Aliyah and to move their lives and their families and everything to Israel, and uh, he will be uh, a bystander. I thought that was uh, a good piece of music to play. Again, Gershon Varoba, the next flight. You're listening to The Stun Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Heard uh, every week at this time. Brought to you by a rotating cast of characters, including Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Mark Zomick, and Daniel Gordon. My name is Mayor Ferdig. And our next guest is uh, my colleague, Rabbi Avi Berman, who is the executive director of OU Israel. And somebody I spent uh, quite a lot of time talking with before I went to Israel and spent a lot of time with in Israel. Rabbi Berman, welcome to the Stunt Show. It was an absolute honor uh, hosting you here in Israel and uh, going around the country with you, and it's a great honor uh, speaking to your uh, uh, great listeners. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you, you referenced taking me around Israel. We had one ama- particularly amazing day where you created an itinerary uh, to uh, show us, uh, myself and a few other colleagues who were in Israel at the time, uh, show us uh, several of OU Israel's amazing programs. What's the biggest misnomer that uh, you encounter when people hear that the OU operates in the state of Israel? Well, I think the biggest uh, shock people get is when they hear that the OU gives its uh, the kosher revenues uh, together with donations back to Jewish people and that they actually do things. Right, that's uh, true. And, uh, you know, and that, that, that goes worldwide, not just in Israel. Uh, but when we tell them that, uh, you know, we are uh, your representatives not only in the uh, thousand communities that are, you know, sure communities of the OU and IPA and Yachad and NCSY, but, uh, you know, uh, as North American Jews, we uh, understand that we have a response responsibility for every type of Jew, whether they were born in North America, or born in Ethiopia, or born in uh, Morocco. Uh, we have a responsibility towards uh, our soldiers. You know, it's really great that we're able to come to Israel, walk around the mirror, stay at the end, you know, buy an apartment in Yushalayim, whatever it is, but at the end of the day, uh, we have uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, soldiers that are on the borders, and uh, literally, uh, you know, putting their, their, their lives on the line to make sure that every every Jew can come from anywhere in the world, and for that matter, you know, any person in the world, not only Jews, uh, can come to the state of Israel and really feel uh, secure. Uh, we thank obviously HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who gives them the uh, the ability to do so, uh, but they have uh, taken the years between 18 and 21, and uh, they're not going and, uh, you know, advancing in university, they're not going and, uh, you know, on a trip, they're not going and uh, having a good time, they're going and literally uh, sacrificing uh, in a positive way three years of their life. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I take people on uh, on these trips and show them that uh, uh, we have uh, a, a very deep and real relationship with the educational core of the uh, IDF, and that we work hand in hand and uh, making sure that, uh, you know, these IDF soldiers that are so, you know, literally think of your 18 year, 18 year old uh, children, your neighbors, your, your nieces and nephews, and, uh, you know, or yourself. Uh, when you think of an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, you think about, you know, going to Israel for a year, you think you're starting university, and, and here you put, you know, green uniform on them, you give them a machine gun, and you expect them to have a deep understanding of why they have to stand in the tower for eight hours straight, uh, with no cell phone, with no, uh, you know, cigarette, God forbid, with no, you know, 
literally nothing. Uh, you know, no uh, no girlfriends, no friends, no talking to anybody. Literally just standing in the car for eight hours, right. uh, watching over a security road and making sure nobody comes in. And unless they have a deep, uh, meaningful understanding of why they're standing there, uh, you know, God forbid they uh, they might not do the job in the best way possible. So, uh, you know, what we've developed together with the Educational Corps is, is really a day that instills the soldiers with a deep, deep love and, and understanding of what they're doing, what they're fighting for, who they're fighting for, and uh, uh, ultimately when, when you stand and you see uh, in the Shetian or wherever we take them, we take them, that, uh, you know, by Kofa floor right over here, and the Maccabean floor right, floor right over there, and the uh, Lamin Hay in 1948 floor right over there, and, uh, you know, uh, 1967, the battle was over here, and at the end of the day, they understand that, you know, the, the history of the Jewish people didn't start in Oslo in 1992 or 1994, right. but uh, ultimately the Jewish people have literally been, been trying to defend themselves and trying to live in this land for the last 3,000, 3,500 years, and that they're part of something so much bigger, and not just, you know, uh, just little me with my iPhone, and uh, it's not about I, it's about we. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, without a doubt, blows people away. And then when we take them down to the uh, different uh, communities, whether it's Nativot or Spirit or Fakim or Dimon or Kiev Shimon or uh, you name it, we're in 40 different different branches across the country. When we uh, we show them what we're doing, uh, you know, I think I think people, uh, especially North Americans, when they come to Israel so many times, especially when they make Aliyah, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, we really want to thank Nefesh Benefesh for, you know, this week incredible uh, flights that, uh, you know, filled the country with, uh, with great uh, enthusiasm. But, uh, you know, many times uh, what, what I see uh, from so many people that I uh, talk to that make Aliyah is that, you know, we, we, in North America, great, I was on the board of the school and I was on the board of the, uh, of the school and I was active here and I was running this type of project, I was running this, and I was helping out with the mix and I was helping out over here and learning. You know, uh, they come to Israel and they, they many times take a back, uh, back seat and say, you know, now I'm, I have to be here, I have to take care of my family, I don't know the language, I, I can't really have an influence here, I really can't do things. In America, I was able to give a shear over here. I'm not able to give a shear, uh, you know, maybe only inside my anger community, but I really can't go out there. And what, uh, what the age has really shown is that uh, we have been for the last 35 years, we've been running programs, and, you know, everybody's familiar with the Israel Center, with the OU Israel Center, familiar with the bits, you know, all those type of things can tour uh, for the Anglo community. But uh, about 90% of what we're doing here in Israel is actually with the Israelis. That's really uh, fascinating. Really. That's that's really a fascinating point to make. Our guest is Rabbi Avi Berman, the Executive Director of OU Israel. I apologize for the quality of the phone line for if you're having a little bit of trouble making them out. We're on a cell phone, unfortunately, from Israel to do, due to technical limitations. Um, but the point that you just made, Rabbi Berman, uh, about how the majority of the programming that OU Israel does in the state of Israel is actually not for... Americans, not for Anglos, despite the popularity and the well-known nature of the Israel Center at, at 22 Karen Hayasod, the fact is that most of the work that you do, most of the extensive work that you do, is with Native Israelis. Uh, correct. Uh, you know, the 10% that we're doing with Anglos is a tremendous, tremendous amount. I mean, we're right. talking about 60,000 people a year, uh, you know, being exposed to uh, to these different activities and coming to the building, etc., etc. You have, what, 60, 70 shiurim a week in your building? We have 75 shiur in a week in the building. We have different activities. We have machim. We have uh, cooking classes. We have tours. We have travel. Uh, I mean, literally, you name it. Uh, there's something happening every single second of the day. 
you know, uh, the story tip is going out in 10,000 hard copies, uh, every week, you know, 20,000 downloads from the internet. Literally, it's, it's, you know, it's reaching way over 100,000 people every single week. Uh, and what's beautiful about story tidbits is that, you know, they are all hand picked up. Like, literally, people come to the center, take their bag, this bag is going to Tzfat, this bag is going to Beersheba, this bag is going to Haifa, this bag is going to Netanya. And literally, 10,000 copies go out every single week like that because people come, care about it, and pick it up. I saw it myself. It's amazing. As a guy who ran a newspaper once and knows how hard it is to distribute a newspaper, (laughs) it was amazing to me to see people just coming in and getting their bags and going. And and willingly, they're not getting paid. They're just doing it because they value it. A hundred percent. And listen, you know, people understand that, uh, you know, every dime that we're able to save on on shipping out the, uh, the bags... Uh, we actually put it towards, uh, you know, another kid in Stirot or another kid in Kerach uh, Mon or another kid in, uh, in the Haria. Uh, and they say to themselves, you know, something, not only do I want to, you know, help out the OU in many ways, but I also want to save their money. So, uh, that really is, uh, uh, uh me on to, uh, to many of us because, uh, ultimately it's, 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 it's a team effort. It's not going to happen unless we all do this together. Right. And, uh, uh, we're in fact on the ground having to really have an impact uh, on so many, so many teams. We have 35,000 adolescents going through our program every single year. Wow. And uh, we're talking about every single week uh, in touch with these kids, you know, where they're coming from me, the film world, the secular world, the traditional world. I, I mean, you literally, you name it. Whether it's the uh, Pearl and Harold uh, Jacobs uh, Zula Center in the center of Yerushalayim, which has 3,000 kids, or it's the uh, Jackie Gindi, right, the sick clubs all over the country, or Makombele, literally, you name it. Uh, it's it's heartwarming, and uh, what I tell the what I tell these teams uh, in every single club. Uh, the first time I speak in any club is uh, I say, you know, I, I just want you to know that uh, ultimately the one I thought about uh, creating a program for you okay. is that you living in Los Angeles, or is a Jew living in New York, or is a Jew living in Toronto, or is a Jew living in uh, Milwaukee? Uh, because uh, we all have to understand that uh, you know we might look a little different, we might have different colors, we might have different to Minhagim, but at the end of the day, we all stood at Har Sinai together. We were all there. We're all brothers. And that's really what we're about. The group I was with, uh, we were at, we were at an Oraita program, I guess, in Ofakim late at night, and we davened Marav with them. And there were these are a bunch of boys, mostly, I guess, of uh, Ethiopian extraction. Uh, yeah, Fakim has a very large Ethiopian uh, community. Right, so we so we dab, we David Marev, and there were, I guess there were probably about ten, twelve boys there. Not all of them were interested in Davani Marev. Three or four of them participated. The rest, you know, stood respectfully on the side. But uh, it, it was just a very, very, uh, very nice experience. I guess is, is a bland way to put it. But it was just a really very eye opening. Uh, the, you saw the 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 depth, um, you know, in a drilling down kind of a way of the work that you're doing in in Israel. Something that a lot of people may not realize is an OU Israel program, but a lot of people benefit from are the travel programs that you run. We're almost out of time, but can you tell me about those real quick? So what's really uh, unique about it is that uh, uh, we try to say that you know you can come to Israel and you could uh, experience Israel, but not really experience Israel. And uh, what we try to do through our travel desk is make sure that when you come into Israel, you're not just seeing the uh, the regular places that all the Jews, the all the uh, you know North Americans, etc., are coming and seeing. 
but we wanted to make sure that you get to see the, the backside of Israel, uh, the, the lay of the land, meet the people, talk to the, uh, you know, citizens, and, uh, you know, go off the beaten track a little and get to know uh, what Israel really is about. Uh, we, I mean, we're going to be having, uh, you know, we have them all the time, but we're specifically uh, going to have Tulum uh, on Sukkot for those coming on Sukkot. We have them obviously now in the summer for those that came, you know, you might be uh, a, a little late for that, a little late for that, but uh, definitely Sukkot. Uh, for Sukkot, I would suggest everybody, you know, signs up, uh, hopefully will be on the web within the next couple of days, and, uh, suggest, uh, signing up because these days really give a, uh, a beautiful scene of Israel. You know, I'm talking about, uh, seeing army bases and seeing, uh, uh, you know, uh, a kid living in a, uh, community such as Ophakim, just like you saw. I mean, right. you know, you can, you can attest for yourself that, you know, walking around, uh, Yushalayim or even going to the Kinneret and, uh, Haifa, uh, you know, these are not the kids that you're meeting there. Right. You don't, you don't see the whole Picture. Right. You get to dive in Minfa or Myra with one of these kids, and you, you understand what it's all about. Right. Absolutely. It was really wonderful. And you have people now signing up for tours uh, key to Slichot, right? Uh, correct. So uh, what's, what's happened, that's, that's actually a, a ton of Israelis. It's become a phenomenon here in Israel. It's called Siwei Slichot. Uh, so mainly happening in uh, Yerushalayim, uh, Tzfat, Hebron, uh, where you have the, I, I'm talking about everyone, I mean, uh, you know, people that are voting merits, people that are voting labor, people that are voting, you know, definitely food, right. you know, literally a, 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 a scope of the entire, entire country. It's not, you know, anybody that literally has a Jewish name is, uh, is going on the CRS record to become a very, very popular thing to do. And, uh, what it is is, uh, literally going, you know, whether you're starting in the different synagogues all over Yerushalayim, whether you're starting in the Chlot or the Bukharim and making your way to the old city, uh, going through the different shows in the old city, hearing different, uh, people, uh, saying Slichot. You know, don't forget that the Ashkenazim starts Slichot literally Matzah Shabbos right before Rosh Hashanah. So we have literally four or five days, depending on the year sometimes. Right. Six, seven days, but, but literally very few days of saying Slichot before Rosh Hashanah. The Sfari community actually started last night. Mm-hmm. They started Rosh Hashanah Elul. Uh, so they have an entire month where they're saying Slichot. Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, unlike the Ashkenazim where we say something different every single day, yeah. uh, besides, you know, the beginning and the end, uh, Sfari had the exact same thing every single night. Uh, and it's uh, pretty much all of it is sung. Uh, it's turned into songs. Uh, you know, everybody, no matter what side of the show you walk into, you right. have the exact same songs as you have in the other one. So uh, the beauty is that you can really walk into any show and recognize the melodies, you know, even the Ashkenazi care uh, known already, right. and, uh, you know, really join in. And uh, what, what people are, are really doing is connecting. They're connecting to themselves, they're connecting to God, they're connecting to community, to their land, to, to, to their roots. And, uh, you know, that's, that's something that's very, very unique about the month of Elul. So if somebody where, wants information, you know, if somebody wants information about these tours, because we're about out of time, uh, how, do they, how do they get information? OUIsrael.org? Uh, 100%. They should definitely get OUIsrael.org. They should see uh, a lot about the travel desk. And, uh, you know, you could always uh, call our center and uh, get additional information as well or email us. Excellent. Info at OUIsrael.org. Info at OUIsrael.org. Thank you, Rabbi Avi Berman, Executive Director of OU Israel. Thank you, Mayor, and please bring everybody on the next message, Benefish Flight.
You're listening to the Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Fertig, and uh, as I've said, this is a, uh, a rotating cast of characters bringing you this show every week at this time on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, Mark Zomick, Daniel Gordon, I'm Mayor Fertig, and our guest now, rounding out this uh, this program about traveling to Israel, uh, a gentleman who played a significant role, uh, who uh, provided a very, very interesting Interesting couple of hours uh, while I was in Israel and over the last uh, week or two uh, is my old friend Shlomo Zwickler, who is the executive director, uh, some say Grand Poobah, of Beit Orot, uh, a yeshiva in, uh, in Yerushalayim. And Shlomo, welcome uh, to the Stunt Show. Greetings, Mayor. Pleasure to be here on, on the air with you. You sound, uh, you sound tired, so we'll try to be brief. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. It's uh, no, no, no uh, nothing tired over here. Everything we're we're raring to go. Always, always on the edge, living on the edge, in the heart of the land of Israel. <laughs> so when uh, when we uh, last had a chance to spend a couple of hours together, uh, Shlomo Zwickler, you picked me up in front of my hotel and you took me on a fascinating tour of the city of Yerushalayim with uh, through the prism of uh, geopolitics and local politics. And uh, the efforts that uh, you and others are making uh, to uh, preserve the city of Yerushalayim, I guess, really for the next generation and for the Jewish people, um, you've given that you've given that tour, that talk, I'm sure, many times. Um, what is the highlight of it from your perspective? What's the most important thing about the uh, the talk that you give as you try to explain to people what's at stake in Yerushalayim and what has to be done? Oh, well, I'll I'll tell you. Two aspects of the entire uh, experience, which are both the most meaningful for me, and also no matter how many times I have the opportunity to meet with people and to give them this tour or experience, as I like to refer to it, always baffles me and, and, and makes me feel like, oh, I'm accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. One is just overall uh, turning people on to the fact that the whole idea of Yerushalayim under our control is not a done deal, so to speak. It's not a finished uh, um, project. I mean, everybody has this concept, okay, 46 years ago, with uh, by the grace of God, the Israel Defense Forces managed to liberate uh, the uh, historic sections of the city of Yerushalayim, and in a uh, move of what would probably be considered today um, you know, would probably be today would be would people would send them for a psychiatric analysis why they would do such a thing. The Israeli government at the time decided to annex the historic parts of Jerusalem to uh, the state of Israel and to call it one city and put it under Jewish control for the first time in 2,000 years. Um, all, all those realities, people, I guess today don't realize. Not I guess I know don't recognize that it's it's not finished. It's not a finished process, and we're still very much in the midst of the struggle to. Um, Maintain Yerushalayim under Jewish control, and in some instances, to to uh, literally demonstrate our sovereignty and our control. And uh, it, it's for me a very important objective to bring that to people front and center. You know, we take a uh, literally a, a three-minute drive from the King David Hotel in the center of Jerusalem. All of a sudden, you feel like you're in downtown Baghdad, and that's right. a situation which certainly does not give over the impression that this is a city under Jewish sovereignty. Uh, you know, for eternity. So that's issue one. Um, of course, uh, having said that, and this is probably issue two, 
is giving people the understanding that it is not uh, beyond the realm of possibility and not something which is going to require supernatural uh, uh, events, but it would be very helpful if they were to happen, <laughs> but it's not going to require supernatural intervention in order for us to, indeed to complete the task, which was begun, in my humble opinion, in 1967, with the formal unification of the city, um, and that is to literally uh, ensure the future of Jerusalem under Jewish control, and the means to that end is uh, bricks, mortar, and Jerusalem stone. It is painstaking uh, 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 activities towards acquiring properties, creating the necessary facts on the ground, and ensuring that enough Jews live in the most critical areas. And I think getting the message across to people, on the one hand, that this, we're not finished yet, on the other hand, you know, we have it in our ability to do and to accomplish, and it's tangible, and it's real, and it's something which is even something that could be, you could put them, you know, X number of years it can take place, and it can transpire, and it can happen, and even against the, the whims of the, of, the, of the world, which is not always the easiest place in theater in which to operate, I think gives people a lot of, on the one hand, they're, they're shocked, but on the one hand, they come away with a tremendous amount of hope, and they're charged with an understanding that this is one of the most important issues facing the Jewish world today. It's kind of like a prerequisite. And when you go to university, you want to major in a particular subject. So there's, you know, for example, psychology 101. Without psychology 101, you can't take any advanced psychology. Right. So uh, I think the unification of Jerusalem, and it's ensuring that it's under Jewish control forever and ever, I think is the prerequisite to uh, anything else that you want to do Jewishly, whether religiously, politically, or otherwise, um, on the Jewish agenda, period, in Israel or anywhere else. Therefore, I think something which we bring very much front and center in the few hours that we spend with folks like we did with you just a couple of weeks ago. We're talking with Shlomo Zwickler. He's the executive director of Beit Orot. Shlomo, tell us a uh, thumbnail sketch, your elevator pitch. What is Beit Orot exactly? The first living Jewish presence on the Mount of Olives in 2,000 years. And uh, many people refer to Mount of Olives as a team as one big graveyard, one big cemetery. Right. Well, uh, you now know Mayor Front and Center, the number one, the Mount of Olives, is a very, very big mountain range or ridge, if you will, uh, which extends from that cemetery, which everybody knows so well, but all the way further north and encompasses even the campus of uh, Hebrew University and what they call Mount Scopus. Um, Beethoven's purpose is to ensure that the northern ridge of the Mount of Olives specifically has a majority Jewish population and that the uh, one of the mill people, the Amcha, as we call them, the regular street person, which is everyone from that perspective, here in Israel identifies with, connects with, and understands that this is part and parcel of, this is literally this cradle of Jewish civilization, and therefore there is nothing to even discuss about withdrawing from it, severing it, or even questioning whether or not Jews have the right to live there or how many Jews can be allowed to live there. So our purpose is to essentially ensure this specific area is kept under Jewish control and that it serves its purpose as part of a string of Jewish territorial contiguity extending around the old city, around historic Jerusalem, to ensure, essentially, what I said before, that the miracles of 1967 are brought to their fruition. So you, you're, as, we were, as I was joking around with you that morning, you're a man with a plan. You have a really long-range plan uh, for to accomplish your goals. Um, and I guess the the, the simple uh, and ancient practice of uh, private property ownership is what it you know boils down to in a sense. 
But you know, when you look at uh, when you look at what's happening now, with, you know, with with uh, Secretary Kerry and, and and you know yet another uh, iteration of of uh, peace talks uh, on the horizon. Uh, first of all, do you have any particular concerns uh, or thoughts about this this round of talks coming up? A and B. Theoretically, tell answer. Tell me this, please. What is to stop? Um, a plan from interfering with private property ownership as it did in Gush Katif. Why, why is that necessarily um, a a truly uh, secure uh, way to uh, ensure Jewish ownership of the city? Okay, well, I'll answer the second question first, and you'll remind me in case I forget what your first question was when I'm done with my rant about the second question. <laughs> um, the uh, the answer to your second question regarding what's the stop, essentially you're asking what's the difference between property ownership in Jerusalem and property ownership in Gush Katif. Okay. Um, in Yerushalayim, the city of Jerusalem, the eastern sections of it, the historic parts of it, were actually annexed to Israel proper by the government shortly mm. after the Six-Day War in 1967. As far as Israeli law is concerned, uh, Jerusalem is Israel proper. There's no differentiation between Herzliya and uh, Tel Aviv and Ashkelon and uh, the area around the tomb of Shimon HaTzadik or the Mount of Olives or the Temple Mount, for that matter. Israel law applies just the same in all, all those places. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that same law, that same annexation, that same perspective of the Israeli legal system was never extended to, for example, Gush Katif, for the, what they call the Gaza Strip, mm-hmm. or for that matter, the areas of Judea and Samaria, which are erroneously referred to as the world, as the West Bank, uh, by the world at large since 1952. I won't get into a whole um, uh, lecture about why the world refers to it, as I say, erroneously since 1952, but it's an important subject that needs to be discussed, and we'll do it in a different interview. Okay. In any event, as a result, in Gush Katif, there actually was no private property ownership. The whole settlement enterprise in Gush Katif was government-sanctioned, and the government essentially leased, or something similar to a lease, of the land on which homes were built, to individuals on the basis of which that they didn't have actual ownership of the land. Very and therefore, there was nothing private about it. In Yerushalayim, when we buy property in uh, Harazetim, or for that matter in the city of David, or in the, inside the old city, or in the area of Sheikh Jarrah, around the, around the, the kever, the tomb of Shimon al-Sadiq, it's the same as buying property on Schenken Street in Tel Aviv or Givatayim or on the, uh, you know, any, any of the major streets or areas of Ranana or Kfar Saba or Haifa or, or, or anywhere else that everybody's familiar with in which nobody questions, or at least everybody thinks nobody questions as far as the Jewish hegemony and sovereignty is concerned. That's right. a major, major difference. Okay. And in fact, one of the big hiccups that former Prime Minister Ehud Barak had in trying to uh, sever certain parts as part of a peace plan back in Camp David in July 2000, the last time there was an American president with illusions of grandeur, so I could just gerrymander up Jerusalem and achieve peace. Um, back in that go-around, one of the major obstacles they had was, well, how do you exactly just withdraw from territory, which has already been annexed? It's a very, very different animal than withdrawing, unfortunately, than withdrawing from territories such as, for example, Gush Katif. Another big difference, Mayor, mm-hmm. if you'll permit me to go a little further with this question that you yes. asked, is that unfortunately in Gush Katif, we did not have the collective we, I mean, um, all the many people living there. You had a total of 8,000 people living in the entire Gush Katif region, 
which unfortunately was just wasn't enough as far as the power by numbers are concerned. But think about this. It took 50,000 soldiers, which is, don't tell anybody, the entire standing army of the state of Israel, to remove 8,000 people from the Gush Katif. Right. Whereas the entire city of Yerushalayim, we'll forget the city, the, city, the, the neighborhood of Gila, which I remind all of our listeners, believe it or not, much to maybe or to your amazement, is actually considered part and parcel of East Jerusalem and the whole world considers it to be an illegal Jewish settlement, yada, yada, yada. Right. There are 50,000 people living on that little hilltop, pardon the phraseology, of Gilo. You know, it's what we call a, a fait accompli. It's a, it's, a, it's a critical mass of people. It's an irrevocable fact in the ground. So there's a major, major difference in the paradigm, and there's no, there, there's no, there's, there's, there's no comparison between what you had going on in Gush Katif, which we didn't have enough numbers compared to what's going on in Yerushalayim. And that's putting aside, not even delving into the feelings of connection and history and spirituality, which you have rampant amongst the overwhelming majority of the Jewish population of the country. So Yerushalayim is a much, much different story um, than Gush Katif or anywhere else for that matter. That's reassuring, um, actually. Um, I'm glad that you agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very interesting. That's a question that's been bothering me. Though I, I see, I didn't realize that the uh, the depth of ownership did not exist in Gush Katif that uh, that exists in Yerushalayim and in other places. So that was, uh, that, that that, was... That's a major a major piece of the issue. The other now the first question you ask: Do I have any concern regarding the current peace talks? Well, I'm curious what you well, think about. It. I know you're a guy who watches uh, geopolitics and American politics very carefully. Um, right. So, uh, for, you know, for the layperson out there, uh, what, what are your uh, what is your read on the uh, recent events with Kerry? Um, I'll, I'll tell you. It, it seems to me that that Secretary Kerry is uh, putting the cap on a what is it forty year political career with no major achievement. <laughs> um, it seems to me that because he's the elder statesman of the Democratic Party, see, he was by default given secretary of the State Department. He was given a choice: what do you want? He took the State Department to try to make something to cap off his career. President Obama seems to me has enough on his plate domestically that he is not really very interested in the the foreign affairs scene, and is sort of just happy to tread water and just keep himself out of trouble. And he figures, listen, if Kerry wants to go try something, okay, it's he tries and fails. It's his failure, not mine. If he tries and succeeds, okay, listen, I put him in his position, so it's my, my, it's my, it's my, uh, it's my success as well. So from his perspective, I think it's pretty clear what he's doing. Um, if you ask me what's going on in the Israeli domestic body politic, we have a big problem in this country, unfortunately, even amongst the faithful, and by faithful I don't just mean people who work you put, people who don't work you put. But remember that in Israel, it's not that 80% of the country is Chiloni, it's a misnomer. It's right. 80% of the country is Masorati, it's traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe about 10% is actually crazy, radical, secular, who has no interest in, you know, in, in traditions and, and in history, uh, or less interest, let's say. Right. Um, and, and though, but nevertheless, that 80% of the country still has this, this, I guess I, I have to call it galut mode or exile mode. Like, oh my god, mayo muba goyim, what are the goyim gonna do? What are they gonna say? The word we're making a shanda for the goyim, oh you say what's gonna happen? <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 the moment, they're constantly obsessed with the fact that, we, with the, those proceeds to be the fact that the world at large is not going to tolerate it. Actually, recently there was a piece written in the forward by one of the editors of the forward that, you know, that the, it, it's ridiculous that, you know, in Jerusalem, in the German colony, this whole shiki area, Yuppieville, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. it's completely forgotten about the Arab, you know, Israeli conflict, which is five minute drive away. Oh, that was Jay, you know, Jay, Jay Michelson wrote that, right? 
Correct. You know, the, the, my gosh, the audacity of these people. Yes. The world's not going to tolerate it very much. <laughs> That's and, you right. Know, uh, Jay Michelson, I think, who's the person who's not tolerant here, and not gonna, who's desperate for the world not to tolerate it, is Jay Michelson, because right. he's got a, a different, you know, worldview than, than, than is the mainstream of, of, of Jews and Judaism and Jewish people. And I think he, he's going to replace the unique Judaism with, uh, you know, a, a, a liberal sup- supplantation. And therefore, he's desperate for the world at large to not tolerate this, but the reality is that uh, that that uh, you know we have a situation where people are worried. Oh my gosh, what's the world going to do and say and think? And therefore, the politics of it is that the prime minister, who I believe is a good man, and I don't believe for a second, willingly or desires to sever even an inch of territory in our country. He's a man who comes from a a, a, a severely, extremely nationalistic family who knows. The, the, the price that needs to be paid and who knows uh, the, the, the value of, of, of our history and our land and right. our situation and is very much a reality-based reality person. Uh, at the same time, I will tell you that I don't, I don't, I don't uh, envy his position. I'm not sure I would do any differently than he's doing in his position, not that I would ever get to that position. Right. But at the same time, I will tell you that the man is playing Prime Minister in my, my humble opinion, and I stress humble, is playing a game of Russian roulette, which, you know, Russian roulette can be less dangerous, can be more dangerous, depending on exactly how many bullets are in that, that round, right. <laughs> how many live rounds are actually in that, in, in that gun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, what, what happens when they call his bluff, if they call his bluff? Right. You know, th- th- then there's going to be, a, you know, a, a heck of a lot of, uh, of, uh, of, of concern in the domestic body politic. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We can't back down now. And that's where it gets dangerous. That's where it gets to be something which to be, to be concerned about, that, you know, we might end up by accident, by default. For example, there's talk here, maybe, you know, because of the situation that we could dangerously fall, find ourselves in, falling into, mm-hmm. you know, not, not intending to get there because nobody's interested and everybody realizes it would be a disaster, is having, for example, you know, a declaration of a Palestinian state without there being end of conflict. Right. Which, putting aside how I feel about that, even to, towards the perspective of people who think that, you know, the, uh, that it's possible to achieve end of conflict if you give them a state, well, even those same people will tell you giving them a state without end of conflict declaration is useless. Yeah. So we might very well find ourselves in that dangerous predicament where we've gotten to the point where you have no choice because of the dangerous Russia that we're playing but to acquiesce to giving them this state, and there's no turning back on a state, as you well know. Of course. And then all of a sudden, wait a second, turn around, and there's not even an, a... a lip service given to the end of conflict, and that is a very, very, very dangerous situation. Right. Well, thank you. I appreciate your, uh, I appreciate your thoughts. I appreciate uh, your time. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Shlomo Zwickler, Executive Director of Beit Orot. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure to be with you, Mayor. Be well. Take care. You're listening to The Stunt Show on the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, we're coming to the end of the show, and uh, certainly some sobering thoughts from Shlomo Zwickler, but my thanks to him, my thanks to all our guests, Rabbi Avi Berman, and of course to the one and only Nahum Siegel, who, uh, whose adventures next week you can follow live on the radio at uh, 91.1 FM in New York, 91.9 and uh, 90.1 FM, as well as online at uh, jmtheam.org and nahumsiegel.com. And you're listening to this show, The Stunt Show, on the Nahum Siegel Network. And uh, tune in next week for another exciting episode. My name is Mayor Furtick. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great day.